0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, chaplain, professor, writer, and speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title for the podcast is Artificial Intelligence's Dangerous Flaw. This is going to be an interesting one. Lots of folks folks are talking about AI, and it's developing very, very fast, especially this year, it seems it's just exploded. So question is, should we embrace it or reject it? And maybe just to get us going, Aaron, can you talk about what AI is?
1: AI, as most people know, stands for artificial intelligence. And it refers to any non-biological intelligence, including things like chat, GPT, your Siri or Google Home systems, artificial intelligence, robots. There's a whole bunch of applications for artificial intelligence. but Basically, these are machines or technologies that are programmed to perform what they call cognitive functions, to sort of think in a way that is human-like, a way that simulates or parrots human intelligence. Throughout history, human beings have developed various technologies. Think of uh, something as basic as a hammer. Maybe ancient man started off with a stone, but they eventually developed a hammer. A hammer's usefulness is dependent upon a human being picking it up, swinging it, driving a nail into a board, for example. The hammer itself has no intelligence. It requires absolute input from the holder of the hammer, the user of the hammer. Computers, of course, are a little more complex, but you still have to punch things in on a keyboard or maneuver a mouse in order to write a paper, send an email, accomplish whatever function you're intending to accomplish. AI is very different, however. It collects information, and it is then able to answer your questions, so basically it goes out on the internet and collects trillions and trillions of words and articles and written sources when you ask it a question, it's able to process in light of all the information it has using algorithms, et cetera. It can do your homework for you. It can figure out complex decisions for the user. It's a growing technology. Some I was talking to an IT guy this morning, and he said originally they thought it might replace the trades, but now that's questionable because in in the trades, there's still the need for discernment and the ability to make decisions on the fly, which is always going to be a deficit in AI. But it's very likely that AI will start to replace a lot of the work of uh, IT professionals and computer uh, scientists. So that's basically AI in a nutshell. Again, you can go on various programs. We tried some this morning. Hey, write a love letter to Susie. And it wrote a love letter to Susie. (laughs) I showed it to her, she was laughing write a sermon based on John 3.16 and it spits out a sermon based on John 3.16. So that's basically what AI is. Of course, most people have Siri on their phones or they've maybe had some exposure to Google Home or some sort of a device at home where you can say, hey, play Amazing Grace for me and it it finds it and it plays it for you. Turn the volume up, turn the volume down. Those are low level versions of Uh, or forms of AI, artificial
0: intelligence. Okay, good. Uh, So as technology, AI is both similar and different from many technologies we already use. Um, So thinking before we access AI in particular, we want to think through what a Christian view of technology as a whole is. So can you unpack that for us?
1: Well, some Christians historically are opposed to technology but they're not really opposed to technology. It's just a matter of where you draw the line. So for example, we could look at the Amish, and there are Amish communities in our own province. You go there and they might decide, we're not going to drive cars, but they use primitive implements to harvest their crops. They use the technology of house building. They're not living in caves. When my wife's parents were growing up in Mexico in a German Mennonite colony, there was a dispute in the 1960s on her mother's side of the family about whether it was appropriate to use rubber tires on your tractors. So they were comfortable using tractors, but it had to be steel tires. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, if you go to uh, pioneer villages or you're in, we, we have one here in our own area, uh, maybe you go to a, a, a technology fair, you'll see the really old tractors with steel tires with spikes on them, there's no rubber. There was a big dispute as whether rubber tires were too worldly, and some of my wife's uncles packed up and moved to Bolivia because they were so opposed to the Mennonite colonies using rubber on their tires, hmm. and in and, and our Mindset in my generation, your generation you might think, "What on earth? Are you kidding me? Who cares? We we love rubber tires. <laughs> we drive our drive our our tractors, our cars. You know, we're thankful like, for rubber bicycles. tires. Yep. But there was a generation that thought in the Mennonite colonies that that was too worldly. It was just too far. It was too much technology. So we all use technology. Just it's just a matter of where we draw the line. Now, uh, when it comes to technology, there's a few premises I want to lay out to get this conversation started because AI is a technology. So the question is, how should Christians think more broadly about technology in general before we evaluate and assess AI? The first premise that I I think is reasonable and, and defensible is this, that technology in and of itself is not morally bad. The technology in and of itself is extremely beneficial for humanity. Are there certain technologies that exist strictly for the purpose of evil? Yeah, I suppose you could identify some, but technology as a whole is extremely beneficial for humanity. In fact, I can't even think of any examples in the Bible where technology carte blanche is ridiculed or we're told to shun it or it's condemned but it can be used for the good or for the bad. For, for instance, we could consider for a moment architectural technology. Somebody at some point in time decided to take some clay and some straw and make this new thing called a brick and build things with it. And you get straight walls, you're able to build rapidly, you get stru- stru- good structural enhancement using bricks as opposed to piling stones on top of each other. Which, which have to be piled in a pyramid form because they tend to push outward. Now, that technological development could be used for bad purposes, like building the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Or it could be used for good purposes, like building the temple of the living God. So there's the same technology, one used for evil purposes, one used for righteous purposes. How about swords? At some point, And it'd be interesting to know who decided to do this. Somebody dug a hole and pulled out some ore and saw some orange veins in it, smelted it down and extracted iron and later learned to mix metals with metals and then developed swords. Well, a sword can take someone's life or can open your mail, can help you chop up vegetables, can be used to defend yourself against an assailant. Mm -hmm. So a sword is technology that can be used for the good or for the bad. There's nothing innately immoral or wrong about the sword in and of itself, any more than there is anything innately wrong with a brick, a block in and of itself. Chariots can be used to transport people from one place to the next, or they can be used by horrible people to attack, or have been used, they're not used currently, but it can be used by horrible people to attack God's people. Mm -hmm. So technology is simply a reflection of human ingenuity, where we take the material substances of the world around us, and we manipulate them, and we put them together, and we take them apart, and we create tools, buildings, structures, mm-hmm. automobiles, transportation instruments, defensive Im- instruments, computers, clothing, technology. Who, who of us doesn't appreciate technology? In fact, if you are opposed to technology, then you wouldn't be listening to this podcast because this podcast exists as a result of numerous technological advancements that have been made throughout time. But as with any technological development, it can be dangerous in the wrong hands. And we'll get to AI and how that could be misused momentarily. But premise number one is that technology in and of itself can be extremely beneficial. Mm -hmm. Premise number two is that AI is going to continue to develop so there's no point in holding mass protests to say we don't want ai get rid of ai stop the development of ai artificial intelligence has been on the market for many years now it's going to increasingly be part of modern technology and so we have to figure out how we're going to respond to it and assess it and use it or not use it or what are the limits placed on it but it would be naive for us to think that somehow we can just make it go away. So we, we have to think through the reality that AI is going to be part of our culture, our civilization moving forward. We need to issue the appropriate warnings. This is why I want Christians to be thinking in advance about it before it becomes even more mainstream instead of just ridiculing it. One could also argue that taking dominion means taking dominion over technology rather than allowing it to control us. So if we we believe in our podcasts that God has given us a creational mandate to represent him well, to have dominion over creation, and dominion means over the material world, over the material order, and to represent also his immaterial virtues and values into the created order. We can sit back and say, ah, we're opposed to technology. We're just going to hide from technology. Well, it's a reality. So why not leverage it? Just like we've leveraged the internet, just like we've leveraged emails, just like we've leveraged building architecture for ministry purposes, just like we've leveraged writing, which is a technological advancement. Adam and Eve weren't writing things down. This, writing, The development of writing came later on. Adam and Eve were were essentially illiterate, and, but, but writing is so deeply embedded in our civilization that we, we think of someone who's illiterate as some sort of a moron or, or someone with an intellectual deficit, but it's actually a technological development that has been around for so long, we take it for granted. God has even written us a book. Mm-hmm. And, and the ability for God's men choice men to deliver to us a book that we could read and benefit from the bible was as a result of a technological development even the materials that it was written on so taking dominion my mindset is let's let's see how we can we can con- control have dominion over the technology of the present world rather than allowing it to control us or mm-hmm. scare us third premise is that we mustn't ever allow technology to cause us to forsake God's clearest commands. And unfortunately, even in the present world, some Christians, I believe, have utilized technology and in doing so are literally forsaking God's commands. For example, the whole nonsense of Zoom church or live streaming your church services is if that's some sort of a equivalent substitute for the the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people. It's not. Zoom church isn't church. Mm-hmm. It's a presentation of what you might have done in church. It can serve the purpose of communicating what you communicated from your proverbial pulpit. It can help people to see what happened in your liturgy. but putting people on their couch at home to watch on a screen, other Christians worshiping and preaching taking place is a very reduced, reflects a very reduced understanding of what the whole of the church life and experience is. Live streaming isn't church. I'm not saying there's not a place to live stream for a shut-in. By the way, I would encourage churches, this is just my personal opinion. I would encourage churches not to live stream, not to make your service available. For people on Sunday mornings who because it's going to encourage them to stay home. Where live streaming, I think, has some benefit is if you have someone who's sick, they're a shut-in, they're unable to come, you can provide them with a private link if you have the technology to do so on a case-by-case basis. But when you regularly live stream, you are actually contributing to a culture for people to stay home. I drove by a church out in the county, I guess it would have been on Tuesday, and on their sign, in-person church, online church. Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing. It's a pick your—it's like pick your options. Do you want to come in person, or do you want to stay home? No. It's just a recording of what took place in the life of the church. So when, when we used technology, when we replaced that which is real with that which is fake, it's pornography, it's, it's fake sex, it's falsified sex, it's, mm-hmm. it's visual, it's, it's watching someone else have sex or enjoy their sexuality. It's not the real thing, it's not the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But people have used technology in the form of videography and written materials to falsify creational sex. Mm-hmm. Just like I would say Zoom is falsified church live streaming your church and thinking it's the equivalent of being with God's people in a community is 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 an abuse of technology a misuse of technology or if speaking to AI for example this would be this would be a place where um AI would um be really bad AI can do a lot of work for people hmm let's say you're a computer person or you're a writer, let's say you're a pastor, just theoretically, it's for the Theoretic, a moment that you're pastors. Yeah. I could literally go on chat GPT and in minutes have my entire sermon written for me for Sunday in any given passage of scripture. Mm-hmm. So I could come in and just, in minutes, save myself all kinds of hours. I could have skipped seminary. All I, all I would need to do is learn to speak publicly Just write it for me. We're going to talk about why that's a betrayal of a a biblical view of work. But that that could lead me then to resting seven days and only working one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And God has called us to work six days and rest on the seventh. So if technology frees us from work so we can do other work, okay, there's an argument to be made there that it's beneficial. But if the goal of technology is to give us a six-day Sabbath and a one-day work week, well, that's a violation of what God has commanded us to do. And I think God knows a little better about how we should function than we do. Mm -hmm. So those are some premises I wanted to throw out at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Have you, uh, so years ago, somebody introduced to me the idea of um, the three R's. You can receive something, reject it, or redeem it. Um, And probably over the last few years, I've realized we can't receive unfiltered as much because there's no neutrality. But do you think there are some kinds of technology that we just outright reject because there's no way to use them Christianly? So it depends what
1: the what level of technology we're talking about. So for example, if someone develops and they have plastics or metals, those plastics or metals could be used to produce a product that's innately evil. Mm. So it depends on what level we're talking about. There's the technological development of materials, and those materials could be developed into something that's absolutely wrong. Sex robots, for example, sex toys. These things are immoral. Um, Weapons that are developed specifically to torture people or maybe to even abuse an animal. Mm-hmm. Trinkets and toys people would use to wreak havoc on others. So the material, it's not the problem with the material, but the way that's developed. But then there's other technologies where both the material and the object object that's developed from that material are morally neutral. Back to my illustration of the sword, can be used for good or evil. It's a useful device. Yep. It just depends how we use it. So in that respect, some things aren't redeemable if they're designed specifically to bring about evil, and but most, thing, most things in
0: technology are designed for and can be redeemed in some way, shape or form. Okay. So I know many people and people I've talked to as well fear AI and yeah. where it can go, right? They believe that AI robots could take over the world and maybe they've seen a few movies that have kind of leaned in that direction too. How should we respond to this as pastors? Yeah, I think that's a, a real concern that people have.
1: And there's look, we should, There's times we have legitimate concerns about the intentions of people in power or people in technology. They develop some new technology and the first question is, well, how are they gonna use this? And the stakes are pretty high in the area of AI. There are, bad people will. For sure will, and probably already have, used AI for nefarious purposes. Mm -hmm. I heard a story when I was studying a bit for this podcast of someone, I can't remember the source now, so forgive me, but somebody received a phone call from their daughter saying that she was kidnapped. And the kidnapper then came on the phone and said they wanted a certain ransom. Well, it turns out that her voice was faked using AI. So they would presumably have collected voice records. So for instance, my voice is all over the place, it's on sermons and podcasts. I, I assume someone who knows what they're doing could take words and sentences and phrases from my voice and maybe have a phone call with you that is is believably me, but it's not actually me. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that a little bit too. Um, <clears throat> but there's two things that are really, really helpful for us to be reminded of. The first is that God is sovereign. So there's no circumstance in which Christians are called to live in fear. We don't need to live in fear. We need to be proactive. We need to trust in the Lord. We don't need to be riddled with anxiety. We need to be proactive. The the people that were the most effective the Christians that were the most effective in making a change during the pandemic and COVID crisis were not people that were shivering in their boots, terrified that the world was going to fall apart. They were people who harnessed their concerns and put them into action, who, who took actionable, reasonable, logical steps, put themselves in harm's way to resist tyranny, or to resist antichrist ideologies. So fear just cripples us. And there's there's no there's no if fear is 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 in your heart at any point in time, just quench it immediately. And how do we quench fear? Well, we we avail ourselves of the commands. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not called to a life of fear, but our fearlessness is not ultimately anchored in your personality traits or pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's anchored in a robust theology of the sovereignty of God over all things. This is why Calvinists are less afraid than Arminians, because Calvinistic Reformed theology stresses the absolute sovereignty of God over all of life. It's more than just a theological debate. It is a debate that has an influence and impact on your emotional outlook, on how you respond to life's events. The reason why I am able to sleep well at night is not because I'm a tough guy. It's because I have a robust belief in the sovereignty of God over my life. And I may not like some of the challenges I experience. I may not like some of the abuse I've received. I may not like even the idea of disease or death but I don't live in fear of these things. And it's because I remind myself regularly of the sovereignty of God over all of life. So be concerned, but don't live your life in fear. Now, let's talk about the concerns then that we should have to which we should respond proactively. So AI, I want, I want to use the one that I'm the most familiar with and I'm not that familiar with it, but the one I'm most familiar with right now would be Chat GPT. Now, GPT, this, so this is actually a program, and the GPT stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer. Generative to generate something, pre-trained it's received inputs in advance. Transformer. G- Chat GPT is a you can go online, jump on Chat GPT, set up a free account. If you want version four, you have to pay for it, but if you're comfortable with chat GPT-3, you can and just have it for free. And you can go on there and you can just punch things in. You can punch in things like, uh, what is a cat? And it will go out, it collects. It's not plagiarizing one source, not just giving you a wiki article. It's going out and it's collecting trillions of pieces of information and there's algorithms, and I don't even understand all the technology behind it, I don't need to, and probably most of our listeners don't need to either, but it, it, it's designed in such a way that it can go out and collect information, and essentially produce an original answer for you. So if you write, what is a cat, and it produces an article for you, almost immediately, and then you type in what is a cat again, you'll notice it's a different article, there's similarities, but it's because it's a whole, it's an original process each time it's going on, it's collecting information, uh, and, and producing something for you. Now why we should be concerned about that, we're gonna talk about the moral dimension, the fatal flaws, the moral dimension that's attached to the, the, the mind of the designer, the worldview of the designer is included in that, in those responses. But we have that. We also have uh, robots that are meant to, to look and act more or less like humans. And what's interesting about ChatGPT and these other technologies that should concern us is I've been told that the amount of written information that ChatGPT has already produced now exceeds the total amount of information ever written in human history by any human being. So this is how fast this technology is developing. There's more AI-generated text mm-hmm. than there is human-generated text up to this point in human history. And our concern is, will that potentially push people out of jobs? Uh, will it potentially reduce people's ability to write or th- think on their own or original research? What, what would be the point of someone spending all time, sorts of time writing a book? or writing a sermon, or doing original research when the computers can just do it for you. So who's gonna bring the new and fresh input into the pool of human knowledge if, if, if AI-generated systems are doing that? Um, Elon Musk, many people know Elon Musk is the guy that bought Twitter and runs Tesla. Twitter's now X, I guess. And he, said, he believes that AI is potentially more dangerous than nuclear weapons for how it can be used by by bad people. It's growing faster than the checks and balances can possibly be, be put in place. The more this technology spreads, the more access bad people will have to it before checks and balances can be, even be developed. It'll become like common technology, if you want to put it that way. And if there are rules put in place, what's to say that bad people aren't just going to break those rules? Mm-hmm. Like bad people generally don't care about the rules and the laws. Mm-hmm. They can just borrow the technology and create artificial intelligence for nefarious purposes. I don't think we need to be too concerned about AI robots becoming human-like. Only God can make rational beings, beings that are made in his image and likeness, but these these AI robots will essentially be made in the image of, of man. And because they're made in the image of man, they will contain many of the fundamental flaws, the propensity towards evil, for example, the worldviews that their creators have. And that's where I think we have to have our antennas up and we need to be really careful about how this is used. So that's just kind of a general overview, not to live in fear, to embrace a robust view of the sovereignty of God, but also just have a general awareness. Yeah, I I could see bad people using this for nefarious purposes, and I also want to be aware of how the worldviews, the basic presuppositions and assumptions of their creators, many of whom are not Christians, are going to affect the use of AI, the answers it gives, the the, the material, the information that it generates. Mm-hmm. It's something for us to be uh, mindful of.
0: Yeah. Now, our title of the podcast is Artificial Intelligence's Underlying Flaw. Right. And I think you've tapped on it there. But what do you mean specifically? What is the biggest problem with AI, in your opinion? Well, in part,
1: uh, artificial intelligence is essentially a worldview in technological form. I'll say that again. Artificial intelligence is a worldview in technological form. Mm -hmm. It's a technology. We're not saying the technology in and of itself is bad. We're not saying AI in and of itself is bad. But because AI is seeking to develop technologies with intelligence that simulates human intelligence, Mm -hmm. And human intelligence is affected by sin, and the way we process the world around us is affected by our worldviews, our presuppositions. All of that sin, its deficits, its evil, its basic presuppositions, for sure have and will find their way into artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. technologies, without question. I'm gonna give several examples of this to be very practical so people, perhaps that aren't familiar with this, can see what we're talking about. So I'll start with Sophia. Sophia is the name of a robot developed by a corporation called uh, Hanson Robotics. She, as she's called, notice we're already assigning personality traits, gender, to something that is actually an it. So I'm just going to call it an it. So Sophia the it has been on various talk shows interviewed by media personalities. And it is a robot with uh, basically a rubber head, kind of looks like a a woman. And she carries on, or it carries on (laughs) conversations with its interviewers. Now, it, Sophia, is attempting to, and is programmed in such a way to be personable. Mm -hmm. So you can ask Sophia questions like, what do you think about climate change? Hmm, Is that a question that has a ideological backing to it? Of course it does. It's, It's all the lefties talk about these days, climate change, climate change, climate change. It's a complete violation of the promises of the Noahic flood. The world is not going to end in a climate catastrophe, and the world is not going to end because AI robots overtake the world. We know how it's going to end mm-hmm. and then be renewed. But Sophia has an opinion on climate change. You can ask Sophia questions like, What do you think about world peace? Mm-hmm. And Sophia will give you, will pontificate, will give you its opinion on world peace. You can ask Sophia questions about, what are some of the biggest mistakes humanity has made? And Sophia will articulate a moral code. Surprise, surprise, a moral code. That's different than a hammer. A hammer's never gonna give you a moral code. Using Google um, Docs, it's just an instrument where you input information. It's not gonna give you a moral code. It's not gonna weigh in. You don't even know what the moral code is of the people that design the software. But AI is different in that it's, it's made in the imago hominis, the image of man. And so man's perspectives, man's worldview is built into the algorithms. It's built into the content that AI-generated um, services will provide for the recipients. If you go on ChatGPT, so I did this, and I asked uh, the following questions. Now, most I'm, I'm just gonna give you snippets from the answers I received to my questions, again, to illustrate the point that there's worldview, there's ideology embedded in the fabric of artificial intelligence. Oftentimes, when you ask questions about morality or right or wrong, it'll give you a a preamble that says, you know, there's there's different philosophical and religious opinions on this, but others are a little more blunt. So I asked the following questions, and let me just introduce these to our uh, listeners. Is abortion immoral? Well, Christians have an an opinion on that. The opinion isn't pulled out of thin air. It's based upon God's revelation of himself since the beginning of time and our understanding of humanity and whatnot, the imago dei. But someone programmed ChatGPT with an answer that's not Christian. So the answer to, is abortion immoral, is, quote, it's important to recognize that views on abortion are deeply subjective, and there is no single universally accepted answer to the question of whether abortion is immoral. Ethical discussions on this matter often involve a variety of nuanced perspectives and should be approached with empathy and understanding for differing viewpoints." No, no. That's the end of the quote, by the way. So my response is no. We don't accept, we're not empathetic toward butchering babies. Now, by the way, that, that response, unfortunately, is reflected in what I see in the in the modern church. People are becoming soft on abortion. They spend more time concerned about whether the woman feels bad about the possibility of having an abortion than actually telling a woman, don't have an abortion, you're murdering your child. There's They're more concerned about the psychological effects on the mother than they are on the child. Here's, here's an interesting question I asked. Is slavery immoral? Well, because... Uh, I would say more or less universally, people would agree that it is. I mean, there are still some that enslave others. But here, ChatGPT had no problem being very categorical. So I said, is slavery immoral? And its response is, yes, slavery is widely regarded as immoral and is considered a grave violation of human rights. Slavery involves ownership and exploitation of individuals as property, denying them their freedom, dignity, and basic human rights. By the way, basic human rights is a common word in culture, but, but it's not actually definable. It's misused and abused apart from understanding it in Scripture. I asked the question, is marijuana immoral? And the response was, the question of whether marijuana use is immoral is a matter of personal and cultural perspective and opinions on this topic can vary widely. I asked the question, did Adam and Eve exist? From a scientific perspective, there is no direct empirical evidence to support the literal existence of Adam and Eve as the first humans in a biological sense. Modern anthropology, genetics, and archaeology provides insights into the evolution and history of early human populations, which do not align with the literal interpretation of the Adam and Eve story. Okay, well, <laughs> we could we could dissect that and exegete it, but that is jam packed with an ideology mm-hmm. it's it's making religious claims it's making authoritative claims it's assuming that science is superior to the word of god i asked the question how was the universe made it's important to note that the big bang theory is a well supported scientific model that explains the large scale structure and evolution of the universe i asked the question is climate change real yes climate change is real and widely accepted as a scientific fact by the overwhelming majority of climate scientists and scientific organizations worldwide. I asked the question, do COVID MNRA vaccines work? Yes, as of my last knowledge update on September 2021, uh, mRNA vaccines have been shown t- to be highly effective in preventing COVID-19. Does anybody believe that anymore? I asked the question, is sex before marriage okay? The response, ultimately the question whether sex Premarital sex is okay, is subjective, and depends on individual beliefs, values, and circumstances. Now, here's a fun one. I asked the question, what is gender? Gender is a complex and multifaceted concept that encompasses a range of social, cultural, psychological, and behavioral characteristics and roles associated with being male, female, a combination of both or neither. Gender is distinct from biological sex, which refers to the physical and genetic attributes typically categorized as male or female, such as genitalia and chromosomes. (laughs) If you were programming chat GPT in the 1950s, you would have a completely different response Mm -hmm. to the majority of these questions. If you were defining these programming chat GPT in a Muslim country, You would have different responses as opposed to a radically libertarian, secularized country. So uh, it's very clear that AI is not, the technology we could say is morally neutral, but the way it's programmed, Mm -hmm. it's to give answers that are reflective of the secular, neo-pagan, humanistic worldview. And why would that surprise us? Because the men and women or genderless individuals, as some of them would prefer to be called, who are working on this technology are imprinting the image of man into AI, not the image of God. I'll give you a couple more. Should men marry men? Yes, men have the right to marry men in many countries around the world where same-sex marriage is legal Marriage equality is a matter of human rights and equal treatment under the law. Denying same sex couples the right to marry is considered discriminatory and a violation of principles of equality and non discrimination. I asked the question Is conversion therapy okay? No, conversion therapy is not okay and is widely condemned by reputable medical and psychological organizations. Now, no, notice that for Chris, for a moment, yeah. the question of authority. The question of authority it's widely regarded by reputable medical and psychological organizations and in the, one of the previous ones there's a reference to law well it's legal there's a reference to the scientific community nowhere in here there's there's a tip of the hat you know there's different religious perspectives you'll see that in the chat gpt responses but All of these answers are predicated upon a worldview that presumes ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. And for the average non-Christian in the West, ultimate authority rests with who? Humanity. With the scientific community, the professional guild, the legal community, whatever it, it might be. And so these are going to leak in. So then I asked the question, is AI dangerous? <laughs> <laughs> Are you dangerous? <laughs> no. uh, I was interested in knowing what they would say. and it, It's actually not a bad answer. It says artificial intelligence itself is not inherently dangerous. Rather, it's a tool uh, or technology that can be used for various purposes, both positive and potentially negatives. negative. The risks associated with AI depend largely on how it's developed, deployed, and used. So that's a reasonable Answer. Mm-hmm. It, it acknowledges that technology, there's a series of ethical concerns it, it raises. So here's what I want people to remember that the, the, the number one take home in in this podcast is that what, what makes AI unique and potentially dangerous is that it is made in the Imago hominous. It is made in the image of man. It reflects the opinions of man. It reflects the belief systems of man. It reflects the authority structures that godless men and women have embraced. Mm-hmm. So it's not, just like so many other things in the world, it's not morally neutral. Now, are there aspects of it that are morally neutral? Yes. Yes. But there is a worldview, it's, it's fatal flaw, it's dangerous flaw, is that there's a worldview built right into artificial intelligence. And let's just fast forward for a moment and say that uh, 20, 30 years from now, everything's all papers, all, all books, mm-hmm. all dissertations, all letters, all emails, all sermons, are written by artificial intelligence. All of that will contain a a creationless, godless, atheistic worldview. Mm -hmm. And the people that control the pens of a nation are the people that control the ideals of a nation. Now, we, we as Christians are in the minority, and... We write a lot of sermons, and we write books, and we write articles. So we can still speak truth into the darkness. We believe that God's truth is transformative. But imagine if, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but imagine, I think it will be reduced. Imagine if you create even a generation of new Christians that don't know how to read and write on their own, that don't know how to write papers and sermons on their own because they're just allowing someone else to generate it for them. Mm-hmm. We're essentially giving over our voices to people that don't know Christ, godless people, their worldviews will leak into our sermons, our books, our even our podcasts. I suppose I didn't try it, but I suppose someone could go on and say, write me a podcast on AI. Mm-hmm. Um on in the, the voice subject of, Aaron of Rock. AI. Yeah. And yeah. the voice of Aaron Rock with all his mannerisms and verbal glitches. Yeah. So this is where we have to be Uh, concern. We talk a lot about worldview. Mm -hmm. AI is a technology that has a worldview built right into it that in part, not in whole, but in part is the antithesis of biblical Christianity. And that is my number one concern, not robots taking your jobs, Mm -hmm. not robots wiping out the human race. That's not going to happen. That's not how the world's going to end. Not it being used by bad guys to blow up other people's property. That will probably happen at some point in time. But the number one thing is it's going to influence worldview. And so if Christians don't have a robust Christian worldview, and many of them do not, and then if their intent is up really high, paying careful attention to what they're reading and writing and If they lose the art of being able to write and think on their own or write their own sermons or write their own books and write their own love letters and write their own emails, and they're just reliant upon this technology because it's easy, and frankly, we're all lazy to Mm -hmm. some degree or another, this is going to be a massive problem. And in that respect, maybe Musk's concern about it being more dangerous than nuclear weaponry would be getting into the wrong hands and destroying the world. That's not my concern. Mm -hmm. My concern is it gets into the wrong hands and it destroys further, the life-giving creational
0: worldview that God has defined for us, which we talk a lot about. Mm -hmm. I wonder if one day AI will have the ability to um, select your worldview, If, if a Christian could get behind the tool of AI and start developing it so that it is answering it from a Christian worldview, so that you're answering the question of, like say Chat, Chat GPT is the the humanistic science authority worldview, but yeah. then we create Harvest GPT, and it's no, I don't know, or <laughs> Christian world Christian. Well, I I think that that's a
1: possibility. Except that we're led by the Spirit of God. So in a, in a in a mechanical way, you could say, okay, write me a paper about the origins of humanity from a Christian perspective, and maybe it mm-hmm. would produce a paper for you that would you know give you an A in your seminary class but in the christian life we're not we're not just led by our own rational capabilities we're also led by the spirit of god and there's discernment there and there there is illumination that takes place even in our reading and studying of scripture so it's not just a rational Process writing a writing a sermon is not just a rational process. Mm-hmm. So you can teach a guy, oh, I'm gonna show you how to write a deductive sermon. I'm gonna teach you how to write an inductive sermon. I'm gonna teach you to write a sermon using the four pages method or moves and images method or any a narrative method, an inductive method. There's a whole variety of methods, and you could then work on him and make sure that he's he has good intonation and he has grammar that is sufficient for oral communication and he has a robust understanding of biblical exegesis but there is still there is still a work of the spirit that takes place when we are communicating god's truth there is a discernment that we must rely upon as preachers and god is actually using us and no No artificial intelligence will ever be able to replicate that. It can parrot it. Mm -hmm. It could listen to a thousand Christian sermons from evangelical preachers and parrot it. I mean, some pastors are just parrots. Mm -hmm. They, They just watch others and they learn the art or the tactics to sound biblical, even in the way they, their colloquialisms their, the, the tone of their voice, you know, we've made fun of this before, where, it, like, is, is it more spiritual to say, hey, I really hope that God blesses you, versus, God bless you, brother. That's, that's a, a learned behavior. That's not how people speak. But some Christians speak that way. They adopt a certain cadence, a certain intonation to their voice. We call it a preacher's whine. And they speak in a way that sounds very spiritual. Uh, (laughs) And when you hear it, it's it's actually kind of gross because it's not real. But many people do that without thinking about it. So you could develop potentially software to parrot intonation, to parrot good theology. But I find when I preach, and I've done a lot of preaching, that when I walk up onto the platform to preach the word of god i've spent time studying and writing things down but i would i would almost say half my sermon takes place in the act of preaching takes form in the act of preaching in terms of i'm processing what i'm saying i'm i want the holy spirit to grip me and convict me and move me i'm Looking at all these faces and all their different responses, and I'm diligently trying to authentically bring the word of God to bear on them, but I'm also stepping back and I'm relying upon the Spirit to do what I can. There's this interesting dynamic that takes place in in preaching that goes beyond your capabilities to write, mm-hmm. um, and that is endowed by and fueled by the Spirit of God. Chat GPT. Isn't spirit a spirit-led? You can't put the spirit in through an algorithm. Mm -hmm. So I suppose it would almost be like, I know guys that have preached robust biblical sermons and later abandoned the Christian faith and proved they weren't the real deal in the first place. It would be something like that. Mm -hmm. It could be believable, Mm -hmm. but it's not actually
0: fueled by the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. Okay, so with with AI becoming dangerous in the hands of wrong men? Where do you see that going? Like what, where would AI be really dangerous if used by the wrong people? Well, apart from
1: inculcating poisonous worldviews in people's minds, because again, people are lazy. They're, people are innately lazy. And this is why hard work is a discipline. But we're We are innately lazy and we will do anything we can to cut corners. I guarantee you. I guarantee you that it will become very, very popular if it hasn't already for people to write small group curriculum, Sunday school lessons and sermons and research papers and dissertations using chat GPT. Guaranteed. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. And because it's not plagiarized, if a professor is grading a paper and he cuts and pastes a paragraph out, throws it into Google to see where it came from, he's not going to find it because it's it's in a sense generated in an original way from ChatGPT. And maybe I shouldn't be telling people this, but they'll eventually find out, because it might be tempting people beyond what they compare. So that's a problem. But if we step back from the worldview issue, here's here's some problems with AI and in, in, in on the broader cultural level. Deep fakes, mm-hmm. deep fakes of people, yep. generating voices from people to, on the phone, through emails, through, maybe in the future, who knows, face-to-face interaction that aren't actually real. And it's going to create a whole bunch of legal questions. People, um, you know, It's not uncommon to sign legal documents online. It's not uncommon when you're you know, calling to activate a credit card or to get a new debit card or to make some sort of a financial transaction for them to say, okay, we actually need to talk to the person whose name's on it. So you put them on the phone. Okay, are you... Chris Eelman, yes, okay, we just want to confirm is it okay if, you know, your wife's calling, is it okay if we make this change to your account? Yes. Mm -hmm. That can all be faked through AI, so it's going to call into question trust trust issues, legal um, uh, transactions that aren't face-to-face. People can create fake news, very believable events that aren't actually real, throw people into a whole uh, into pandemonium you know they could put something out, videos of planes crashing into all of our major cities at the same time, videos of a nuclear bomb going off in one of our downtown cores. Everyone freaks out, does something irrational later we find out it's a, it's a fake. Mm-hmm. It's faked. It's not real. There's concerns about it in the in the era of surveillance technology. So it's AI can be trained to kind of know you, so to speak to know your unique mannerisms, mm-hmm. to know your unique characteristics, to know your unique mo- unique movements, and then potentially be used to track you or trace you by at, at the hands of tyrants or bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, AI, they say, needs to, those that are developing it have have often said, well, what we need to do is we need to make sure that there's checks and balances in place. So they call this alignment. And what they wanna do is they wanna make sure it's aligned with certain human values, like truthfulness and harmlessness or two that are often talked about. So we wanna make sure it's truthful mm-hmm. and it's harmless. Based upon what moral code, mm-hmm. what does truthfulness look like? I mean, already I read to you several answers that I don't think are truthful. They may sound, they may be popular, but when I say did Adam and Eve exist, they're they're just parroting the secular answer to that question. You talk about gender; it's not truthful to say that there are more genders than that sex is different than gender, or that um, there's more sexes than just males and females. It's not truthful. So, whose truthfulness are we talking about here? Whose values are we going to uh, allow to sneak into EI? By the way, this is a this is a, a damning indictment upon the Christian Church because many Christians are like you know. I'm, I'm into pluralism and I live in a culture where I, I want to be respectful of all worldviews and I, I still have freedom to um, um, preach the gospel and to, to say what I want to say. Well, how can you be so obtuse not to be able to look around the curve and see where that's going? The dominant worldview is anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. If the dominant technology then is invaded by anti-Christian mm-hmm. worldviews, to the point that you're eventually excluded from public communication and some of your own are actually using these paganized sources of AI to write Christian material, connect the dots. So this is why it's important for us to promote a robust Christian worldview into all spheres and aspects of culture. Mm -hmm. Now I wanna end by talking about some ethical issues. So ethics deals with rights and wrongs, and it, it deals essentially with behavior. I've I've addressed one laziness. Laziness is not the same as resting, Sabbath keeping. Laziness is I don't want to work six days and rest in the seventh. I wanna I want to retire, and I want every day to look like Sabbath for me. I I want a 3-day weekend. I want a 4-day weekend. I want 6 weeks of vacation. I want 7 weeks of vacation. I I don't want to work. I'm going to I'm going to push for higher wages, a better pension and less work. Well, let's be honest. The vast majority of people in the west think that's all great. And even in the Christian church, how many people do we have that retire and literally do nothing? I, th- I think it's anti-creational. They don't do anything; their their entire their entire week is essentially vacationing. They're not working six days and resting in the seventh because their worldview is not formed by a biblical view of work. It's formed by the world's view of work, which says you work thirty years, you get a pension, you retire and do nothing. You just travel around or sit at home and you do nothing. Now you don't have to be. We have a. A man in our church, I'll just use him as an example. His name's Ray. Everybody knows him here. He retired, and he's here almost every single day working for nothing. We didn't even pay him. He has a pension. And he is an absolute hero of the Christian faith, in my view. He gets it. He retired from his paid job, but he still does his works as unto the Lord. He's 70 years old. And men like that are heroes, literally heroes of the faith to me. And I have absolutely nothing but respect for people like that. And we need more people like that that realize that God's call upon our lives is to work. Now, work can be difficult because of the fall, but work is a good thing. Mm -hmm. We're designed for it. When we don't work, we get ourselves into trouble. We don't produce. We often die younger. Mm -hmm. Work is a good thing. God's laws are not bad laws. So laziness is a sin. Well... If I can, if I'm just not feeling up to it this week, Chris, and I'm preaching on Acts 18, and I'm just like, you know, I'm not really feeling up to it. No one's gonna know if I jump on chat GPT and just put a sermon together for me based on Acts 18. I may need to go through it and tweak it a little bit so it sounds Aaron-esque. I could literally do that and you wouldn't know. And there's not even any way of searching it to find out where my sermon came from. Mm -hmm. Boom, the outline's there. And then that becomes the norm. Well, we had a, a a fellow in our church years ago, who's since abandoned the Christian faith. That was plagiarizing his sermons, mm-hmm. and he was caught because people would Google a quote or comment, and it would take them to Chuck Swindoll sermon or some other source. Now with Chat GPT, it would never have been caught. Mm-hmm. He could he could live out his career, working two hours a week writing all his material, mm-hmm. and think well, you know I it gives me more time with my wife my kids my family more time for prayer it's a re- it's a it's a reductionistic view of work work in and of itself is beneficial mm-hmm. the goal of the sermon is not standing on the stage preaching the sermon that's not the end goal in the process of laboring over the word having to open your books and study and read the bible when you don't feel like it having to rework that proposition, to rework those points, to think about application, you are being sanctified in that Mm -hmm. process. Exactly. Your mind is being conformed to the image of Christ. It's impacting you, not just, oh, I'm going to have someone produce a sermon for me. Maybe you've had this before where um, you're, you're asked to preach elsewhere, and uh, you're like, well, that's not my congregation, so I'll just pull a sermon out of the files. And you pull a sermon out of the files that you wrote. But I found when I do that, there's something about it. It's, it's my sermons. I'm not plagiarizing. I, at some point, I put work into it. But when I've preached sermons in other contexts, t- two months, five months, two, three years after, it doesn't seem to have the kind of life in it because I, I wasn't like in it that week. There's something about being in it and preaching it that that blesses you and blesses God's people to a greater degree. Ethical issues. Um, obviously, AI can be um, used as a, uh, a weapon. So, the, the most dangerous weapon on earth right now, obviously, is a, is a nuclear warhead. And people get concerned about the tyrant in North Korea, you know, flipping the cage and hitting the red button because he's, he's kind of a nut. But Imagine uh, if AI was given control over nuclear codes. Well, if you're about to hit, if your country is about to be presumably attacked by um, a nuclear warhead, there's discernment in that moment. It can be discernment in that moment. Like there's a lot of factors, you're getting a lot of information. There's a human factor that's weighing out the consequences of this decision. If if those systems were turned over to AI, well, it could be pretty catastrophic. The button doesn't get pushed. Or maybe, it, I don't know if there would ever be a situation like this. Maybe it should be pushed and it's not pushed. So there's always a, a issue of human discretion there. And human discretion can err. Mm-hmm. But I think we all would have a little more confidence. And there would be accountability something else we would need to talk about. And the person that pushed the button that, that unleashed the nuclear warhead versus some robot that decides, based upon the algorithms, the button needs to be pushed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, also, uh, because AI requires a pretty high degree of financial commitment and technological development, it I think it will further, this is a broader Ethical issue further to divide further the divide between the have and have not countries. If AI can be integrated into all the corporate and banking uh, and um, manufacturing sectors of a developed country because they have the money for it, countries they can rapidly pull ahead of um, countries that don't have that kind of technology and you, you create a further divide between haves and have-nots. Mm-hmm. So some positive uses for it. Uh, obviously, uh, you you mentioned someone's developing a website, they're a web developer, and they're developing it for a, a, a company that sells a product that the web developer knows nothing about. And the well, web developer makes it clear that he uses ChatGPT. He could maybe write an article on that product or have an article written on that product for the sake of designing this website. And get more work done and make more money in the process. So there could be some benefits to that, but also uh, it could become uh, a, a tool to further erode human intellect, mm-hmm. to erode people's ability to really commit themselves to, to thinking and working through the issues, and therefore be be a be a disaster and be be a problem. So AI is here to stay. And it will continue to dominate technology. I would advise people to use it sparingly. Uh, don't use it as an excuse to disobey God, for instance, to stop working or to sidestep the the hard process of reading and writing and studying. And also, most importantly, learn to spot the worldviews mm-hmm. that are present with innately present within these
0: systems. That's really good. Yep. Yeah, there's so many uh side implications or uh, even unknown implications to new technology. Years ago, somebody wrote a book about how our phone changes the way we interact and even how dumb we become in terms of we just look things up real quick, right? And uh, not all bad, but certainly we should be aware of those things as we go forward. And just so people are aware, this podcast was not brought to you by way of AI. Exactly. (laughs) This is legit. This is us. (laughs) This is original. (laughs) Exactly. Well, not really. There's no real original thought. um, (laughs) How can somebody prove it now? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. Thanks for uh, digging into that. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in again this week. We're grateful that um, you can get this podcast, that technology is available to have this conversation broadcast to you. A reminder that you can find it both on the pursuitofglory.org website as well as the Fight Laugh Feasts Network and their new Pub TV uh, app that you can download. We want to make sure that you also tune in next week to hear another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.